the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Uh, Time to get that big old bag of mail open. A reminder that if you want to submit a question to a for a future mailbag episode, you can go by leaving us a five-star review. And in that review, put your question. We will tackle it in a future mailbag episodes. Just because the regular season is approaching and, you know, we're digging through win totals, we're not ignoring the mailbag because uh, hearing from you is uh, some of the, the greatest joy that we get, ideas that we hadn't thought of, fun discussions that uh, we would have never even prepared for. So we want to keep this interactive. We want to keep you a part of the show all the way through the regular season. So continue to fill up that big old bag of mail uh, with your questions and your discussion topics. I wanted to begin with uh, something that it it's not an apology to our listeners, but I wanted to at least acknowledge that you all were really looking for that Quinn Ewers emergency podcast episode. And I thought we had tackled it in another um another episode that we had sat down to record when we got into some realignment stuff. But the way the text went was like, Hey, we're going to sit down. We'll do an emergency podcast, update some realignment stuff and hit Quinn Ewers. You know, we figured that like most emergency podcasts, about 15, 20 minutes, you know, what we did gentlemen, we did daggum like 32 minutes on realignment. We spun out of control and we totally forgot to hit the Quinn Ewers story. But those of you who listened to the podcast, I thought it was a very good show. And I think you understand why it's at the front of our minds right now. It's something that was reported for a while. And so for those who haven't gotten into it, before we get to this mailbag question, which is a little bit related to Quinn Ewers, uh, but I'll throw this to you first so that you know we can make sure anybody who's not been tapped into this, the, the move was for Quinn Ewers to reclassify, something that we have seen before. Um, you know, if you've got all your academics in order, instead of your senior year of high school, you, you might have enough credits to go and get your degree. And then you can show up on campus and, and join the program right away. And that's something that Quinn Ewers is going to do. There is an aspect of this that is tied to name, image, and likeness and the opportunity to be able to begin to profit as a, as a college athlete um, up in Ohio in a way that you might not be able to do as a high school player in Texas. But how much of this from uh, talking to, you know, Dave Biddle of Bucknuts and from uh, some others around the Ohio State program, do you read this as being competitively driven, name, image, and likeness driven? And, you know, as, as we start to follow the discussion, do you see this as uh, having any... Actually, we'll wait for the quarterback room for the actual question. The What do you see as dri- the driving factor between Quinn Ewer's decision to reclassify, skip his senior year of high school, and immediately join the Ohio State football program? I, I think the main thing is the, uh, the the very silly rule by the state of Texas that uh, that you know high school players in the state of Texas cannot get NIL money. Um, you know, obviously they have some big things going on in the Texas legislature right now, so I don't really anticipate uh, them you know doing that. Uh, as far as changing it right now, but eventually, maybe they will. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. I, I mean, we explained on that episode that we did t- touch on this that if you're a five star quarterback, number one overall prospect type kid, you are easily worth a million dollars to induce you to come to a school. Easily, like think about the the pay scale in any other sport. In what other sport does your any assistant coach make more than you pay the top free agent? In college football, basically all the assistant coaches make more than most people think these kids get under the table. Now, over the table, legal stuff where you can bring in a lot of brands that normally wouldn't play in, the, in this arena, um, easily worth, worth that kind of money. 
You would be foolish to, to, to pass on that at that age. There's no guarantee Quinn Ewers is a hit. There's a guarantee he's going to get that money in the bank right now, which could be life-changing. Um, I don't see this as super competitively driven, although he's already dominated the state of high school landscape, right? Um, you know, so that's that's kind of one thing to consider there. I know you have the question coming up about what, what do we think about the depth chart, but very few kids are going to be able to do this, in my opinion, for name, image, and likeness. Almost nobody has a kind of following built up that you do as a junior to get true name, image, and likeness money if we're assuming this isn't just you know, money that's funneled from boosters and stuff. And in, in the case of, of Quinn Ewers, I think there's a good chance that it actually is name, name image, likeness money. If I'm a brand, I absolutely want to associate with this kid. I mean, the highest rated QB since Trevor Lawrence. He has a mullet. He's very photogenic. He's got a personality. Like, I want to get my hooks in him early as a brand or as a marketing agency and get going because that could be a, a long-lasting, you know, relationship there uh, that we have a very profitable one potentially. Uh, so I, I see it really as mostly money-driven. Well, I wonder what ha- – I mean, we're going to get to the QB room here momentarily, but I wonder what happens when we've suddenly got a situation where the third-string QB is making a lot more money than the starting quarterback and is a bigger star than the starting quarterback. I, you know what that's going to test? That's going to test Ryan Day. Like, that's yeah. going to test your leadership. That's going to test the maturity. That's going to test, like, I don't know. Um, I do not know who fit, who actually is, like, the biggest voice among the players in that, you know, offensive meeting room. But that's, like, we can, we can get campy with it and just be like, no, you need to have good leadership to be able to keep that from being some kind of a problem. Because um, I'm with you, Tom. That's good. Like I, I believe, actually, here we'll go ahead and dig in because this is a good question from uh, Big Red Machine. Hey guys, love the show. It's really helped me get through these sleepless nights with my now seven-month-old son. Congratulations. My question as an OSU fan is with Quinn Ewers now officially here, but arriving late in the process. What should be expected? I assume C.J. Stroud starts, but if C.J. Stroud wins a national title this year, you know, is there any prior precedent for a national title winning quarterback losing the job the next season, or could Ewers transfer just as quickly as he got here? Thanks. Well, I, I think it's safe to say that the four quarterbacks in the room right now for Ohio State will not all put start games for Ohio State, at least two of them are going to transfer. I think if you just look at the way that, you know, the world works right now, those are four highly rated quarterbacks who are all expecting to play somewhere at college and who all have NFL aspirations. So somebody's going to be leaving at some point. And I don't know if it'll be yours. I, I don't think it'll be yours based on Bud. You, you're better. You're going to know more about this than I do, but based on other people I talked to, well, that's a very talented room. Ewers right now is somebody that you probably think is going to earn that starting job at some point, if not this year. So I, I don't know what it's going to look like in the future. I do think it'll be Stroud this year, but I wouldn't be shocked if Ewers is able to work his way into the conversation next year, because I mean, it's Ohio state. Like the point of the game is to have the best player out there. They're trying to win national titles. So if Stroud does win a national title this year, of course he's going to have the benefit of the doubt going into next season. But I don't think he'll be guaranteed of anything if if Ewers or anybody else in that room is outplaying him in the spring and over the summer. So guys who have lost their jobs to more talented dudes was so Cam Newton at Florida. I think this is an interesting example, right? Because Tim Tebow won the national title. Cam Newton was a better player than, than Tim Tebow, in my opinion. Not more accomplished, but but better. I, I I have no doubt that Florida team would have been better if you stick Cam there as opposed to Tebow. And I know I'll get all kinds of hate about Auburn. that, but Florida fans already hate me anyway. Yeah, exactly. Right. No, no, nobody else in that Auburn offense ever took a snap in the NFL and, and, and Cam did that thing. But he ended up transferring because they weren't going to bench Tim Tebow. If CJ Stroud wins a national title this year, I, I, I have a very hard time seeing them bench him. Of course, I think Ryan Day wants to promote competition. Um, Having listened to, to Dan Rubin and Dave Biddle on, on the Bucknuts Morning 5 podcast, which is just an absolute beast of a show, and you guys should go subscribe if you have any, any interest in Ohio State at all. You know, quick morning hitter for, for Ohio State fans. I don't think that, that Ohio State really prefers that this went down this way. Hmm. I think they would have rather spaced it down, you know, spaced it out by a year. Uh, but certainly they were not going to turn down a potentially transformational generational talent like, like a Quinn Ewers. Uh, that quarterback room is so loaded. If I'm going to bet on like one team going forward, I'm almost certainly going to bet as far as like winning a national title in the next couple of years, it's probably Ohio state. 
because I just think they have so many bites at the at the get an elite quarterback apple with C.J. Stroud and, and and yours and everybody else. Like, how many dudes do they have who we put put five stars or or damn near five stars on? It, it's it's really ridiculous. But I do think it'll be C.J. Stroud this year um, because Ohio State is not in a developmental phase. They are trying to win a national title this year. Correct. And you know, if this was at another school, maybe you would go with yours, but I still kind of doubt it. Uh, just given that Stroud was also, what did we have him? Top 20, I think. That was like the last class before I joined 24-7 sports. Um, you know, like he's not a slouch. The guy was really, really talented. And whoever wins that job, I'm supremely confident in just because of the competition they're going to have to go through. I think that the let CJ Stroud, who I agree with you, I expect him to be the starter at the beginning of the season, but like let him struggle at all. And that's going to be frustrating like because an Ohio State fan might be looking at Quinn Ewers and thinking, hey, well, you, you got to try him out. And then, you know, what do we do with Kyle McCord? What do we do with Jack Miller? I mean, you're right. It, we've got four players who are all in either high four-star or five-star prospects. I mean, normally our fourth quarterback's a walk-on. You, you know how much Clemson would kill to have this quarterback room right now as they're just sitting there with DJ Uyunglele and Hunter Hurst-Helms? I mean, this is a... Uh, a luxury of riches that I agree. I don't think that CJ Stroud would lose his job if he wins a national championship, but I don't know if, if there's any kind of struggle or if there's any belief based on what Quinn Ewers can show throughout the season, would you be all that surprised if maybe he makes an appearance in the college football playoff? Like, because we think that Ohio state, the way it's built can win the big 10, even with quarterback play that is not at CJ Stroud level. Right? I, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think that you could hold this. You've got to keep this in the back of your mind. Like, okay, we're, we know that CJ Stroud can get us there no matter how he ends up performing. And this is, again, something that's not proven because there is not a single pass attempt in college in that Ohio State quarterback room. We've got four blue chip prospects and not a one college pass attempt. So still unproven all the way across the board, but... I'm, I think I'm with you guys. There's not a ton of precedent here, but the it creates probably more intrigue uh, than anything else should C.J. Stroud struggle moving forward. All right, another question, Ohio State-related, so I wanted to, to go ahead and get it in. Hi, guys. Lo- it's from Wiry Parrot. Hi, guys. Love the pod. It's been a great way to get me through the morning and evening commutes. Yes, some people still have to go into the office. I love how the podcast covers the sport from so many different angles. Danny is a former player, Bud from the recruiting perspective, Tom and Chip from the media side. My question is directed at Bud. Can you talk a little bit about Trevion Henderson and what you think his role will be for Ohio State in 2021? I feel like it's rare that you see a running back ranked as high as him, and I'm having trouble staying away from his Heisman odds at 150 to 1. Love the pod. Thanks, guys. That is Trevion Henderson, who... um, Oh, our, we might have our cover three historian, but so I'm sure our cover three historian would be able to uh, dig up the fact that Bud Elliott said a long time ago that Travion Henderson would have started for Ohio State last season had he already been on the team. Am I correct in that? Is that what my little brain? I, to, I did say up? that, yeah, yeah. On, on, on the uh, the Barton and Bud podcast, probably here as well. I mean, look, at 24-7 Sports, we don't put running backs in the top 10 basically ever because we know the NFL draft is the ultimate sort of scorecard when it comes to evaluating what we do with our rankings. We think it's the only kind of unbiased one that they have out there. Uh, And yet we like Travion Henderson enough to put him number 11. Like he is a really, really special player. Uh, And I, I'm not sure he's going to win the job out of camp, but like, I think he will be Ohio state's leading rusher this year, just talent wise. He, I think he's that good. And remember he, you know, he missed his senior year because they didn't play ball in uh, in, in in Virginia. Fresh legs. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'll, just for an idea, too, like if you go to, you know, his 24-7 sports recruiting profile, like Brian Doan, the recruiting analyst who did the scouting report, compares him to Christian McCaffrey. So 
I mean, I understand that sometimes with comps, we get a little too friendly, but I would say generally 24 seven sports is comps. You don't see them comparing a lot of players to superstars and Heisman winners or Heisman candidates and NFL stars. You see, you see typically more reasonable, realistic comparisons. So when you see that the one kid is comp to Christian McCaffrey, raise your eyebrow and be like, huh, maybe he might be pretty good. So in your mind, imagine that you've got Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith Jigba, Julian Fleming, Emeka Buka, um, Little Harvin Marison, and by the way, a Christian McCaffrey in the making with Travion Henderson ready to go, which is why um, we might be saying it doesn't seem to matter who wins this quarterback job. As long as you can deliver the ball to one of these uh, playmakers in space, then, then you should be all right. All right, let's go. This next question, while uh, while our good friend Bud is rebooting, <laughs> Bud left. He's done. He's like, I don't, I don't want to answer anymore. Your stupid question. He's like, also, he said, you got the recruiting question out of the way. I'm good. Yeah, I'm gone. I'm gonna go. I'm off the rest of the day. I want to say though, going back to the question, like I, I understand we all bring different perspectives. I just want to make sure you understand that we're all media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all yeah. Of us. <laughs> Bud's in the media. Danny's in the media. So before you start labeling me and Chip as evil media people. Um, all right. This next question is from Sean in Colorado. Uh, my wife always knows it's close to the start of the season when I walk around. Hold on, my wife always knows that it's close to the start of the season when I'm walking around the house singing. How many games are going to win this fall? In a horrible falsetto. <laughs> My question is, as a Pac-12 fan, parentheses, Oregon, I want the Pac-12 to be on par with the Big Ten or other, quote, more impressive conferences. What will it take? Will a playoff win every two years do it? What about two top 10 teams in a season? And is it a prerequisite for USC to be one of those teams for the nation at large to respect the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're very much on the right course. I think that the only way a conference is going to earn respect from people outside of that footprint who don't really pay close attention to it is to win. And it's like Oregon was really good for a few years there. It almost beat Auburn. And when that was happening, you know, Oregon was getting plenty of respect nationally. The Pac-12 as a whole still wasn't because, you know, USC was kind of down, but I, I think that it can't just be one team or actually maybe, you know, it's Oregon has to get to the playoff and it can't just get to the playoff. It has to win playoff games. It has to beat those teams. USC, obviously, if they're good and they get back to competing for national titles, that is going to help the conferences, you know, reputation because the more people see of you and the more games that people see you winning against other top teams, of course, it's going to improve your reputation. But like you, if you look at the big 12, Nobody really looks at the Big 12 as a powerful conference. Oklahoma gets to the playoff every year, but Oklahoma's not winning playoff games. So there's like a certain, like people respect Oklahoma for winning that conference. They don't view them the same way as they view the SEC teams, the Clemson or Ohio State, because they don't win those games. So the Pac-12 is kind of in a similar situation. You can't just get there because especially the way the system's going to be soon anyway, everybody's going to have a chance to get there. Every conference is going to have a team getting in at least once, but you, you have to win. And it's not even just a playoff. It's also non-conference games. Like if Oregon beats Ohio state and USC is beating Notre Dame and Washington's beating Michigan, that is going to improve the PAC 12's reputation during the regular season, which will in turn increase their odds of getting a team into the playoff. So again, it all comes down to wins. Okay. So non, I was going to, that was going to be my next question. Can non-conference games and non-conference wins carry uh, the reputation forward in a way that you might not even need playoff wins to be able to get there? Probably not. I, I mean, I, th I think it could carry, it'll, it'll have more of a, it would have more of a reputation boost with the people who choose the playoff teams. Mm. Like the committee is going to be paying attention to that more than the, it depends what respect you're looking for. If, if you just want the committee's respect, yeah, non-conference wins will do it. If you want the respect of college football people as a whole, like the fans across the country, nah, because that's the thing. Like, you know, the Alabama fan, if, if Washington beats Michigan, 
Alabama fan didn't watch that game. Alabama fan didn't care about that game. Alabama fan probably sent out a couple tweets making fun of Michigan in the Big Ten. But then he, you know, but it's it's not until Alabama fan sees Washington beating Alabama or beating Auburn or beating LSU or beating Georgia or beating Clemson is Alabama fan going to really give you any respect. And I'm not trying to single out Alabama fans as the one fan base. I'm just using them as an example of fans of the better programs or the more well-respected programs. Okay, so the non-conference was one thing that stood out to me. Uh, I'm going to dismiss bowl games. Is that fair? Just because bowl yeah, games nobody are... nobody cares about bowl yeah, games. Yeah, you, you, can, you can have a good record in, in a bowl season. It's not actually going to mean all that much. Then uh, the final piece of this was he mentioned uh, rankings and like two top 10 teams. I think that that's yes, because if that's so, that means that while either either your conference championship game had two teams with double-digit wins or only one or two losses, if you've got two top 10 teams, or one of your divisions has two teams with double-digit wins and very few losses, I think two top 10 teams is one year is not going to do it, but you've got to be able to do it on an annual basis. Yeah, I mean, like, I think having two top 10 teams shows respect from pollsters in that current, you know, in the current season, but as far as going forward, Chip, let's play a game. Name the top, the final top 10 of the AP top 25 last season. Okay. Um, Alabama one, Ohio State two, uh, Clemson three. You don't have to go in order. Just just name the 10 teams. Oh, Notre Dame. Help. Yep. Georgia. Yep. Cincinnati. Yep. Um, Iowa State. Yep. Um, Oklahoma. Yep. Um, so two more at nine and 10 last year. There's no pac 12 team is the point, right? <laughs> is that where this exercise is? No, going? it's not the point. I'm just uh, trying to like, I'm just, the other two are Texas A&M oh, and Northwestern, Texas A&M and Northwestern. But Sorry, my Aggies. point is that like, nobody's going to be like, yeah, well we didn't get to the playoff last year, but we had two top 10 teams. Like, again, that's not going to move the needle nationally. It's You're getting respect from the committee. You're getting respect from the media and the coaches poll. But again, it depends who you're looking for the respect from. If if you want fans, like if you're on Twitter and you're tired of seeing fans of other conferences dunking on your team and dunking on your conference, the only thing that's going to change that is for you to beat them. That's all it comes down to. Mm. Coming up on the other side, what if the NFL ends up picking up a one-and-done type uh, model that allows players to go pro after one just one year of college football. What would that mean? What kind of players would we see and how often would it happen? Plus, when we start to look uh, into the future, when we start to think about player compensation, uh, new, new structures of the FBS, uh, we do our own look into the crystal ball for the future of college football. Next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, Chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This next question comes from NJ Money. Shout out, Jersey. Uh, hey, big fan of the pod. I was wondering how the college football landscape would change if the NFL removed three years of college rule and went to the option of one and done like basketball. Would we see generational talents like Trevor Lawrence taken after their freshman year? I understand the sport is much different and players need to be in, co in a college weight program for a couple of years to get their bodies ready. Which positions would more underclassmen be drafted in? Quarterback? Wide receiver? How would the college football landscape change? If Alabama is sending freshmen to the league every year, are they sucking up more of the five stars in each class? The flip side of that coin is that they'd have a younger team, and could that hurt them in their biggest games? Interested to hear y'all's take on this. Thanks in advance. It's a really fun question. 
Yeah, it's um, it's man, I, I think a lot of this depends on what what does the NFL's does it have a minor league? Does it expand roster sizes? Uh, because if it didn't expand roster sizes, I, I I wonder how much NFL teams would be willing, you know, to carry uh, guys who are developmental type players for two to three years on their roster before they get ready. Uh, occasionally, now you see that with uh, with quarterbacks, right? Like, hey, we're going to sit this guy a year. Although I think increasingly, perhaps less and less, um, but. If they if they had the rosters just how they are now, so you have a practice squad and, and can you protect guys in your practice squad? Do, do we know about that? Like, or, or if you're on a practice squad, are you eligibly signed away? You are. I think I don't know the exact rules. I think that as long as you're on a practice squad, technically, you the team I think would have to agree to it or it would release you. I think you know what I mean. Like if a team comes and offers you something, I don't know, but I, I think that's how it works. Got it. Okay. Um, so under that assumption, basically, like we, we, I'm going to operate under the premise that they would be drafting people who they believe could contribute to their roster for the most part within a, a fairly quick timeline. Right. Uh, and then that would mean that they're drafting running backs. Like you can't tell me that Leonard Fournette couldn't be a starting NFL running back at 18. I saw the guy. He didn't look any different than the starting NFL running backs we had at the opening when he was entering his senior season of high school. They were exactly the same amount of rocked up we know that you get slower once you hit about 22 or 23 anyway. So, I mean, like guys don't get faster in their mid to late twenties for the most part running back for me would, would be the, the clear one, probably defense back followed by receiver tight end way down the list, uh, offensive, offensive line, line way down the list, way down the list. Yeah. yeah. Th- those guys are not ready for, for the pros at that age. What about the, like, so, um, what about some of the just sort of like athletically gifted tweeners? Like in my mind, I was thinking uh, Micah Parsons. Like was Micah Parsons ready to go and be uh, a spacey linebacker coming right out of high school? Or do you think that he's really benefited from the strength program at Penn State to be able to get ready? I, I don't think he was going to be an impact guy uh, as as a 19-year-old in, in the NFL or, or somebody who would have played a lot of snaps at 19 in the NFL. Because to me, that position has more to learn. Running back, mm. not so much, right? I'm just going to give you the ball. You're Hit going to hole. do probably what you've done since you were about six years old in Pop Warner. Uh, not to say that there's no learning at the running back position because there certainly is is some. I'm interested in like how many roster spots would these NFL teams allocate for dudes who are a little bit further away but who need serious development? You know, in baseball, for the most part they're taking college relievers and college arms who can get to the pros fast. And then they're taking high upside high school kids hoops. I don't really follow NBA, so I don't know what the hell they do draft wise Uh, potential. Okay. Yeah. So like how many roster spots would you use on your NFL roster? Like, would you take Quinn Ewers? Of course you would. Somebody would, would you take the third or fourth quarterback out there? How many years would you, would you plan to hold it? I think we would. I think you would have to be looking at you because Quinn Ewers, as we mentioned earlier in the show, highest rated quarterback since Trevor Lawrence. I think that that would be the the gap where maybe maybe even DJ doesn't get picked up in a one and done scenario, right? Um, I think that it would be it would not we would not have one quarterback taken every year because fifty three is a short roster. If you if you have to invest any kind of development, I can't imagine that it would be like the NBA where you're trying to draft on potential, you're trying to draft for something three years out. I mean, what NFL franchise is in the mindset of we got this guy and in three years we're really excited about what he can be? Yeah, I, it's, I th- yeah sorry, Tom. I, was gonna say, I think another thing that complicates this too is just like the nature of the NFL in which, you know, we don't really, like you see it in basketball, you know, the, you know, like this team's tanking and completely rebuilding. You see it in baseball with teams tanking and completely rebuilding. You, at least not yet, like we've seen rebuilds in the NFL, like the Dolphins kind of did it, but you don't see like tanking to that same kind of level where it's like, hey, if this takes three, four, five years, that's fine because we need to get a superstar. So I don't know how many NFL teams on an annual basis are going to be willing to take that kind of lottery tip pick, particularly with an early round pick. Like maybe a team would gladly take some of these guys with like third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, seventh picks. But if you're one of these high recruits, 
then you're better off staying in college anyway and increasing your value and increasing your draft value to increase the contract that you're going to get right away. And plus with NIL, you're still going to be making some money now as it is. So I, I, I don't, I think it would change a lot, but I don't think it would be some sort of huge seismic change in which we'd all of a sudden, like you see in college where there's just a bunch of freshmen leaving after one year and going straight to the NFL. Because I do think that there is a physical requirement to the NFL that kids just don't have at 18 compared to what to basketball. I think basketball wise, and I think that sometimes even that's overlooked. Like when, when you looked at when a lot of high schoolers were going straight to the NBA, you were very few and far between finding guys who were able to play 82 games right away and to play well. Most of those guys played, you know, missed large portions of the season, came off the bench, played very limited minutes just because physically they weren't ready for it. And that's those kind of results over and over and over again are why the NBA inst said, you know what? No, we're done drafting high schoolers. We're done taking a chance on, you know, like the lottery tickets here. We want them to get a little more development. And I think that that's the reason why the NFL has that rule in place to begin with, where you can't leave until after you've been in college for three years because of that physical growth that is required to play a very physically demanding sport. So like Bud was saying, there's some positions, I think, you know, some guys, there's, there's some dudes who are quite literally just, you know, <laughs> built different that are ready for the NFL right away. But most of these kids coming out of high school are not ready for the NFL right away. And so I, I think it'd be a situation where maybe every year you'd see one to two or three guys at most who would get legitimate early draft consideration before anybody else. I, I kind of can see a little bit different situation here, by the way. I do think like let, let's is there a team in the NFL that has had bad quarterback play for like a long time? The Chicago, the Chicago Bears. Bears. Okay, all right, perfect. Tom, if you ran the Chicago Bears, let's let's go back to uh, you know the, the summer of 2018, or excuse me, the, the summer of 2017. Okay, or we're we're doing the one and done scenario, right? Mm-hmm. So okay, don't you think that you would have taken first pick Trevor Lawrence? Second pick, Justin Fields. Third pick, Jaden Daniels. And basically said, you know what? Like, we know our best finish, if we don't have quarterback play, is like the divisional round. We're willing to to wait a year or two. One of these guys will develop ahead of schedule, most likely, and we'll carry three guys on our 53 that are quarterbacks, and we'll see how they develop. Like, I, I think all it would take would be one team rolling the dice, hitting on a mega QB. Hell, if they hit on two, they could trade away one and their draft capital, especially since it'd be cost controlled would be incredible. Um, I think if one team does it, then everybody else would jump on board and then the number of kids getting drafted would not explode, but it would expand quite a bit. So if it expands, what about the next part of this question? What programs are impacted? If Alabama, because one and done means they could also leave after their sophomore year. If all of a sudden Alabama, Georgia and Ohio state, you know, the, the programs that have the most NFL draft picks, let's just go ahead and say they assume based on sample size that, you know, if we're now allowing you to leave not only after your freshman year, but even after your sophomore year, do you think that that brings them back competitively uh, a little bit closer to teams that are not necessarily as loaded up on uh, that high level talent and leaning more on development? I, I do think it would have like an impact on like but the blue chip ratio. I do think that you would see greater parity or at least a lower threshold for, you know, that ratio. Because like if you look at basketball, Kentucky was a program that, you know, was I guess was like the poster child for the one and done era when it first started in college basketball because Calipari would bring in guys, they'd be there for a year, and then he'd send like four guys to the NBA in the lottery the very next season. And then he'd have to completely start over with another team of freshmen. And what you would see was kind of a high variance in the results in that when you have a lot of young players, if it gels quickly and they work together well, that kind of talent can lead you to a national title. But you could also see years where you're very young and inexperienced and maybe, you know, the players aren't as good as the ones that came the year before them. And you take like a step back. So if you're Alabama and, you know, you're, do, you're in this one and done era where like half your starting lineup is going to the NFL every season even though they've only been there for a year it's like you know you you hear the motto get old and stay old well teams like alabama and georgia and the best recruiting teams would not be able to stay old because their players would keep leaving and that would provide a little more variance in their results from year to year so 
I think that if I'm a college football coach or if I'm one of those programs, the three-year rule is something I would very much like to keep in place. Well, it also helps the colleges build up their stars. I mean, the the NFL wants to keep the three-year rule in place. Uh, Tom, I I agree with you that there's a physical element of the NFL that would prevent guys, some guys from making an early impact. But they also use this justification going back to the Maurice Claret case because they do not want to pay for their own Mm -hmm. minor league system and talent Mm -hmm. development. Like, the, the NFL is so profitable for a number of reasons, but one of those reasons legitimately is that their player development cost from 18 to like 21 is zero. It's a great feature if you like businesses as a general rule, and I come from SB Nation, if you don't pay your labor, your chance of being profitable is extremely high, right? It, it is, it, it's, it's a hell of a business model if you can get away with it. The NFL is allowed to get away with it. College is kind of you know still still allowed to get away with it um but i i do kind of think going back to the question of who would it affect the most program wise i think you would see teams like alabama raid wake forest a lot more in the transfer portal hey man we had a kid go pro a little bit earlier than expected you guys have some juniors we need to get some depth on this team you want a chance to come play for the tide i think we would see a real increase in that and uh, we'd see some demoralized fans from other teams like jakari robinson robertson uh, getting calls from uh, from Bill O'Brien to try and come and fill a need at a uh, at wide receiver, that kind of thing. Would you guys like to see the baseball rule? The for college football. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see the baseball rule for pro- probably every sport. Honestly, Where <laughs> I think you- it's just you either go straight out of high school or you have to go to college for a minimum number of years before you can re-enter the draft. Yeah, I'd be cool. With that. I think so too. I don't like the one and done compared to the baseball rule. No. And I will say though, as a side kind of off topic here, I do think that I I'm not sure what the overall impact of NIL will be on college football as far as the sport and as far as how things look. But I do think NIL will be good for college basketball in that players who maybe, you know, were considering leaving now have more added incentive to stick around for another year. And I think that will improve the overall level of the sport. I would agree with that. I always, um, I, Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh, um, yeah, Jim Harbaugh coaches at Michigan. I, I you know, always like to provide context, but uh, he's he's all about that no age limit for the NFL. Like, if you're 18, you should be able to go. Like, absolutely no rules. Um, how how would that be different than the baseball rule? If well, you the commit- baseball rule, you have to stay what three years if three you don't years. go pro at high school. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, the team like, that drafted you, do they have the rights to you? Nope. No. Okay. You get to re-enter the draft. Do you get to make that decision after finding out who drafted you? Yeah. You either yeah. sign or you don't. If you don't sign, you go to college. And and the threat of going to college serves leverage to extract maximum value within the, uh, the structure. So if I get drafted by the Jets and I don't want to go play for the Jets, I can decide to go to college. Correct. Yeah. And that's part of the equation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. All right. Um, this is funny because uh, Bud said in uh, the group chat going into this, we could make an entire uh, episode out of some of these questions. And I'm sure that by the time we will get into next season, some of these topics will blossom into uh, some of these same discussions. So I, I'm excited to hear what you guys think about this. Let's start with the compensation because that is very similar to where we just were. Hey guys, especially, hey guys, especially Tom. Love the pod. On Tuesday, you talked about the future of college football, where the future of college football is going, and here are my thoughts. Wanted your opinion on it. I think by the time 2035 rolls around, a group of the highest revenue schools will announce that college football athletes as employees of the school and essentially form a pro league. I think there will be 25 to 35, parentheses, Ohio State, Clemson, Oregon, Florida, etc. Teams who make this choice to form their own league and the rest of the FBS will become the NCAA sanctioned league. What are your thoughts on this and how likely slash far are we from this? I do think that the current climate is probably better for it to happen than it ever has been before. That said, I'd say it's like a 0.5% chance of it, of it happening. Because like we've seen, if, if you go to Europe where they have that promotion relegation, what were the top teams trying to do? What just make the most money? 
No, they were trying to form a league in which there would not like they were automatically in it every year. Right. Because they don't want to run that risk. And I don't see like Alabama or Ohio State or any top college football program agreeing to be in a system in which they could be demoted to a lower league. Like that just doesn't make sense on their part. And they do for the most part have all the power. I think it'd be very interesting for fans. I think it would be better for fans, but I I don't think it's ever going to happen. The system that I created or I came up with a few years ago was pretty simple. It was uh, 70 teams in five 14 team conferences. And so it was pretty much the power five. And then I just put in a couple of the bigger G five teams. Obviously that might change if they went to it, but I just did that. And then I based the starting conferences, like, you know, tier one, tier two, tier three on how those teams had performed in like the last five rolling year average or whatever you wanted to use. I don't know how they would use it, but, and then essentially it was, so it was five 14 team conferences in which you played a round robin schedule. And then obviously in conference one, the top four teams would then, be in the quote-unquote college football playoff to determine who the national champion was. The only teams that are eligible to win the national title would be the 14 teams in Tier 1, which kind of sounds similar to what we already have. But then in Tier 2, what you would have is the top four teams would have their own playoff in Tier 2, in which, or I'm sorry, the top two teams in Tier 2 would automatically promote to Tier 1 the following year. Then teams three, four, five, and six would have a four-team playoff in which the winner of that playoff followed those other two teams and was promoted to the league above. Meanwhile, the three teams that finished in last in tier one would be demoted, and this would be the system in all five tiers. So so essentially, if you are the fan of a middling power five school, you are in a conference with a bunch of other middling power five schools, which gives you a chance to actually win something that you really don't have right now. And it also gives you a chance to advance and build your program and move up. Meanwhile, if you are somebody who is considered a blue blood right now, but you're not taking care of yourself and you're not taking things seriously enough, you could easily find yourself falling down the ladder. So it's more of a meritocracy than anything, which is what I think is the ideal for sports and competition, but it's just not the reality of what we're ever going to see. I So Tom brought up an interesting point that he doesn't think the top teams would agree to a system with relegation. And I, I think he's mostly right if that system uh, is similar to the one that the emailer or that the, the, the questioner asked. Uh, but I think you could, there is a way you could make it work. If you wanted to have, let's say 60 teams in a relegation type system, I think for them and, and yet system was not being run by the NCAA and there was no, like it was very clear that like paying players, things like that were not going to result in any sort of Scott, like sanctions or anything that, that might pop you to make your tremendously rich you know, advantaged program potentially fall down. Um, I think that the very top teams would agree to that because that number of teams is so great that they know, Unless they just botch like five or six hires in a row, they're they're not going to fall down, you know. At out out of that, I think the middle tier teams, it would take some convincing. But where where they're going to go if they don't join up, right? With, with the top teams, they're going to make all the money, and the bottom tier teams are going to be very just happy just to get their shot at being invited. So maybe that number is sixty or something like that. Um, but I I do think we could see a situation where top level football breaks off and is governed independently from the NCAA. I think that's, I don't want to say it's super likely to happen soon, but I think it will happen sometime in our lifetime. And if it does happen, uh, if you can somehow, maybe maybe that's when those guys are classified as employees and not scholarship. And that right there kind of fixes your Title IX issue because then you don't have to, you don't have to worry about supporting all these sports that are non-revenue because you, you're carrying 85 football scholarships, right? And I bet you a lot of schools would drop a lot of those sports and probably drop some men's sports as well, um, given that their, their moneymaker is being governed by a different, different body right now. But I totally agree with Tom that they would not sign up to be in a relegation-type system uh, if there, it was only like 30-something teams, because your, your risk of variance there where you get dropped is, is unacceptable and with little benefit. My curiosity is less competitive and more philosophical in how many university presidents and athletic directors are willing to plow ahead with straight up player compensation from the university to the player. 
And I think that would be the dividing line where there are some schools at the power five level that would say, no, thanks. We're going to, you know, we're just going to continue to run on the old system and we're going to beat up on all these teams and we're going to win championships at this level. But you no, know, you, we can already see based on how much money is spent on football in terms of the universities that really care. And the, those universities are going to be the ones that I'm going to put at the top of the list again, 10 years from now to be willing to put aside or 15 years from now to be willing to put aside any sort of idea of amateurism, any sort of idea of the student athlete or the reason that you are here is to be able to get an education and oh yeah, you play football. I think that it is possible that we see that breakaway. And there would be, again, I think that there would be schools that we consider great brands, schools that we consider good power five programs that because of the philosophical debate might choose not to play with the big boys but to me, that's where I see the real dividing line for any kind of breakaway down the line is that idea of, you know what, we're just, we're not even going to try to hide it in cost of attendance or allow name, image, and likeness. We're just going to allow revenue sharing. And maybe there's a way to not do uh, have them be employees. Shout out to all you lawyer, labor lawyers that are yelling at me right now about all the reasons this, that this can or can't work, but an idea of revenue sharing where the players get to participate with the schools in the checks that are coming from the conferences for the media rights deals, the big old pot of money, which by the way, it's great that name, image, and likeness is there, but it doesn't change the amount on the split from the biggest pot of money there is in college football. And I'm, that's where my curiosity is with this question is who would be willing at the university level to just plow ahead and say, nope, this is, we're going to professionalize this. Let's go. How many teams in the power five do you think would not be willing to do so? 15 to 20. Like, I, I don't think our number's above 35 or 40. All right. Just starting a league, Chip and I know best would wake. No, I don't think so. I agree. Cuse? Maybe not. I don't think so. Boston College? No way. No. So that's three. Duke? No. Four. So it's it's essentially just all the small private schools. Yeah, I mean, yeah, pull pull yeah. pull away all the small private schools and then like and then Michigan bring in the big group of well, like, the group of five public schools. Purdue, no. Would Michigan? Well, I guess it would depend on on if they get to keep their TV advantage like Given the money that Purdue brings in right now, probably yes. If you go to a Super League and everybody's money's a little more even from TV, and then it starts to depend on how much your boosters want to kick in, then maybe not. I think Michigan believes it can still sell out the big house and do it the right way. <laughs> Michigan would do it. You think Michigan would do it? Just plow they ahead? Would, they would go They would go kicking and screaming, but they would do it because I think at the at the back of Michigan's mind... It doesn't want to be left behind. Because Ohio State would do it. Ohio State's signing up tomorrow. Texas is signing up tomorrow. Alabama's going to do it, no problem. Florida going to do it, no problem. Like Michigan goes about it a different way, but their egos are still the same size as everybody else's. Cal wouldn't do it. Michigan has the student athlete. uh, They're they're pretty into that. But yeah, Um, yeah, I don't think Cal would do it. Like I would also look to the the Pac-12 to find a couple spots. Obviously, you know, Stanford falls into that same category, but that's where Stanford I Stanford has the money, by the way. Just would they spend it? Like, no. Well, yeah, Stanford, again, doesn't need the money. Like, they don't even have to be a desperation where they want to join the Super League to be able to get the checks. Right. They're not stuck. Like, Florida, Florida that was somebody, man, uh, but I'm so sorry. I forgot who said this. Uh it was like, it's $380 million for a school to leave the ACC right now. Like, that's what the total exit fee for this grant of rights that runs through 2036. And oh, I was low with my math. I thought it was 285. I mean, they're, they're still like, you know, impossible numbers to, to hit. But yeah. Um, wow. I, I, Joe Giglio and West Durham were talking about this yesterday here in Raleigh, and I think they had it in the, in the mid uh, to high threes. And, uh, and West Durham said, you think Florida State's going to be able to come up with $380 million? Like, <laughs> Florida State can, cannot find $380 million, no matter, no matter how badly it might or might not. University president, of course, denying any uh, radio reports that they're going to be investigating options of going to the SEC. But, like, Florida State signs up for any kind of Super League. It's like, yes, sure, we'll pay them. 
No big deal. If those are the only rules, then let's go plow on ahead. Right. Oh, for sure. Um, but yeah, that's you think Miami would. No, I don't think at the university level. It's a tough one. It depends on who's in charge too, which is yeah, the, who's the president at the point in time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, a huge wild card in a lot of this. Um, I mean, I, I think most of the SEC with, except for Vanderbilt probably would. I think most of the big 12, maybe including Baylor probably would. I think right now the remaining eight would do anything you asked. That, that if is, it meant getting to stay, stay solvent. It's, it's one fifty-eight a.m. Baby. <laughs> those, those, uh, those big 12 teams are looking for anyone to hang out with, uh, at late night. Um, yeah. So I thought it was a, interesting- for a second. I thought that was a joke about a big, big 12 coach. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, um, I guess uh, we, we sort of touched on this to a uh, question from Gavin. So shout out to you. Been listening to over a year and think the content and discussions continue to improve. Thanks. Keep up the good work and can't wait to see Barton's mastery at work this season in Nashville. If you were given supreme authority on the structure of college football, how many teams would you have in the FBS? Let's assume you can set up whatever you want for conferences, postseason structure. Uh, would you increase or decrease the number of teams and what metric would be your cutoff for FBS? Tom, you already uh, gave your full pitch on your five 14 team conferences. But if you were restructuring this, and let's say that this is not the 2035 down the line, but just if we were starting all over, all over again in 2022 or 2023, um, how, where would you draw the line and, uh, and how would you set it up? I, I think probably, I don't know. I, I, a lot of this depends on do you want every team in the league to conceivably have a chance to win a title? If so, then I think you need to, you need to be pretty like narrowly construed this question. Uh, but somebody's got to lose games. And I, I, I think I, I would be a little bit concerned about the health of the sport because I, I don't know, like does college football exist if there's only 30 teams out there? I do think it's important that it, that it exists at multiple levels. This is something I really agree with Jimbo on when he's like, no, FBS teams should play FCS games because that check funds the athletic department. And then the, the little check the FCS cuts to the, the D2, they need that to keep to keep football going at their level. There, there actually is some trickle-down economics at, at work in, in college football, which you know, may not work in other areas. Uh, but, man, like – I think I would go like probably 50. There's a lot of schools out there that aren't really like, like, do you think Ohio needs to be in the same division as Alabama or Wake Forest or Oregon State or Purdue or uh, I almost said Nebraska? That's mean. Uh, or, okay, Illinois, right? Does Illinois really have aspirations since we have Tom on the pod? to play at the highest level. Mm-hmm. It does. Yep. Okay, then Illinois, you can come. All right. Rutgers, no. I Maryland. think Rutgers aspires to it, too. I think yeah, I mean, my, do you want know my cutoff? Is how willing are you to get your ass beat? Sure. All right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. If, if you are willing to come and get your ass beat, then, yeah, you can come be a part of this league. Like, my number, I we're at 127 right now. Like, my number of invites that I would hand out would probably be close to 100, and then there would just have to be, you understand that you're coming into this with no shot to make the college football playoff for many of the schools that I invite. You're coming into this where you are not going to be competitive when you go up against the very best teams, but within the structures of your own little conferences or your own divisions, there will be opportunities for you to get a spotlight that you will not be able to get at other levels. Like I, I think that there is more value to Maction than there is to FCS. And based on the way that the Mac has performed in the last two to three seasons, where we haven't had like a, a Western Michigan or a, a Northern Illinois that's you know 11, 12 win type team, it, like I, I think that the the unique experience, the media rights deal, the spotlight that you get just by being associated, even by name, like with an Alabama, even if you know you can't stand on the same field with them, just because you're in that same division, there there's value that you wouldn't get if you were down at the FCS level. So. My my cut my line in the sand is: Are you cool with the fact that knowing that you are on a different level and you are trading that for the exposure and everything that can come with it? You know what I would do. Here's an idea. I would probably keep the same number of teams, but like when we talk about 
following a more European model, we always go to relegation promotion. How about we ignore relegation promotion and we follow a different way? If you look at soccer in Europe, there are the five main leagues and there are smaller leagues in smaller countries. You know, so it's kind of like the power five, a group of five. And they all play their season. They do a round-robin schedule. They play everybody twice. But I would say, obviously, for football, you play everybody once. But you, every conference plays a round-conference schedule. There are no non-conference games. Then the top whatever teams from each of those conferences then get sent to a quote-unquote Champions League, hmm. like we see in soccer. On Paramount+. Plus. Play. And hmm. that could be, especially if we're going to start paying them as professionals now, Maybe that's in the spring or shortly after this, you know, or maybe that takes place in December through January on a weekly basis. It serves kind of like a playoff where depending on how you perform depend is determines how many teams you get into this league. Now, obviously the format for the league would have to be figured out, but like, you know, the SEC gets two teams. The Big Ten gets two teams. The ACC gets two teams. Maybe the Big 12 and the Pac-12 only get one, and the group of five leagues only get one. I, I don't. I, again, this is all just coming to me now, so I don't really have like a plan in place, but it would be something like that, and then you kind of have that as your – would be considered a playoff, but it's not really a playoff. I, I guess I, I have – I think that's a really fun idea because it kind of keeps the regionality of the sport with it, which I think is important, but it's like huge. within your own region, but it also combines it nationally. Chip, the, the one question I would have with, with your 100 proposal, which I think is interesting, would everybody get the same amount of TV money? No. Because I, I okay. Yeah. So you're basically I, telling them, hey, like you have to make up for the lack of TV money we give you by, like, basically you have to supplement if you want to stay up here with your own cash. Yes. I think that that is actually something that I would suggest to any conference commissioner, if they're fearful about their future, that we just throw away this equal revenue sharing and start to incentivize it based on on-field performance so that the payouts um, reflect who's really doing the winning at the highest level. And if I'm, if I'm going to offer that as a suggestion to conference commissioners now as a way to navigate the next 10 years, then I absolutely should have it as one of the principal uh, pieces financially of this, uh, this chip FBS. I think that's pretty smart um, because my second question, if you had said no, was going to be, well, how do you prevent the very best teams from breaking off from the 100? Right. If they're viewing like they have to share this revenue. Right. No, that's I, I'm while that's all hunky dory, um, in the in the most dreamy view of oh we are all brothers and sisters here in this conference. I, I think it's time to maybe a little bit more, um, a, a little bit of a different approach is taken for sure. Uh, so you think maybe next time around, Clemson, Florida State, and Miami and UNC are not making the same amount from ACC deal that Wake and Cuse and Boston College do. I don't think you can just jump out the gate and just like earmark it for those schools, but you put in some sort of payout incentive structure, which rewards on-field success. And hey, you know what? Oh, so you'd reward winning, not not how many eyeballs are on the TV? I think so. I think because that's that just motivates you to like raise the level of the entire league. Winning it should equal eyeballs. Doesn't always, but I think it should. That's interesting. I don't know that some of these brands would sign up for it. Like, if you're a Clemson, sure, you're confident you're going to keep winning, but you're real confident your brand's going to stay awesome, right? Right. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to risk my payout based on if I win. I want to be like, guess what? Look at my resume over the last thirty years. Pay me now. But then you've got the reward for if a school that is not a big brand pulls everything together and uh, the right coaching hire and a couple of good recruiting classes come together and heck you win the ACC, then, you know, then you should be able to cash a check. That's a little bit more on par with some of those biggest brands. Makes sense. All right. Hmm. We'll, con we'll continue to build this out. Like Bud said in the text, we could make entire shows out of this and, and we very well might by the time we get into the off season, but gentlemen, we've got business 
to take care of here in August. That is on Monday when we're back with the Big Ten win totals. We'll start in the East Division on Monday. We'll hit the West Division on uh, Wednesday, and then probably back with another mailbag, or who knows, we'll have a conference realignment update uh, to get your weekend started right, one or the other. And then the week after that, we'll do the SEC. All of it leads into our win totals locks That's right. We've given you all these different uh, Power 5 win total picks. We'll also hit Notre Dame, the group of five, and uh, the independents as well. And then we will say, okay, of all these picks that we've given you, we've given you 65 picks, 70 picks. These are the ones that I believe in the most. Uh, We will be doing all of that here in the next couple weeks here on the Cover 3 Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.